Hello and welcome to Differential Discussions. I'm Melissa. And I'm Dave. And we're back with another one of our guest series where we have Allie Lacey joining us to talk about working in clinical trials. So welcome, Allie. Hi, guys. Thank you. So we're excited to have you here. Allie is, I think, the first person we have on that's not an alumni of ours. For my I know, first. right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think... Um... She, you know, she's a uh, um, working, you know, working in the clinical lab together. She's one of us still. She's a colleague. Yeah. yeah. She's a colleague. And, and what remind me, is it UConn? I think you're still in. Yes. There, right? Yeah. All right. It's yeah. March okay. Madness. Come on, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, good timing. Yeah. So we're oh, yeah. recording yeah. during March Madness. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super, super excited to have you here. Yeah, um, thank you. So, yeah, Ali, would you mind uh, maybe telling us a little bit about, you know, how you found yourself in a clinical lab and your your education and and then getting into doing clinical trials and things like that. Yeah, sure. So um, as mentioned, I'm a UConn alum. Um, so originally I'd gotten my uh, bachelor's in molecular and cell biology there. Um, unfortunately, you know, the economy at the time wasn't great for research. So I kind of milled around for a couple of years um, actually went back and um, joined the MLS program, which, you know, at the time was pretty small and, and our, our class was small. So um, it was pretty great to kind of be in that small learning environment. Um, and, you know, from there, I kind of got in as a lab assistant while in school. Um, and I think that's really great because, you know, it kind of gets your foot in the door. Um, and if it's the same, you know, company or department you want to work in, it's it's really easy once you graduate to kind of just move in full time, um, and also for a shift, which is for some people the goal, um, unless you like their shift, which did not work for me. But anyway, um, yeah. So so from there, I was in the microbiology department, um, and because you know it's it's pretty easy to to find you know jobs in different labs, I moved to Boston because um, that's really where I wanted to be from Connecticut. Um, and so I got into hematology and started also learning post-cytometry at the time, which um, I really loved. So, you know, having a little bit of that specialty area was, was really fun. Um, so I was at BMC for a little while. Um, and then I tried, you know, a PhD program thinking I kind of wanted to be in research. I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so after a few months, I actually decided, you know, mouse models weren't for me. Um, I wanted to work in human trials. So that's when I moved back to Boston. Um, I got my old job back and actually ended up moving over to Tufts so I could work in a program um, at the same time. It was just more flexible there. Um, so the program I actually did was clinical investigation and that was really learning all the ins and outs of clinical trial management, um, kind of the regulatory aspects with the FDA and, and all the things you kind of need to know there. Um, so from there, I then moved to MGH. So I kind of, you know, did the rounds in Boston at all the different hospitals, um, which was really great. I got to work with different teams. Um, yeah. The last one was actually the cancer center. So I was able to work, you know, in the stem cell therapy department with, you know, the apheresis nurses also on the floor doing bedside infusions, which was really great because you got to, you know, see patients, interact with them. Um, we also had some clinical trials going on, you know, through our lab. Um, which was really great to see just with, you know, um, my degree I was earning at the time. Um, so then from there, I graduated. Um, I joined a small company. Uh, their name was Aobiome. 
and you know really just started out as a, a clinical trial associate so essentially an entry level from there um, being a small company I got to essentially work on anything I wanted um, they were really great about kind of you know expanding your knowledge base and letting you work on things um, really regardless of your title so mm-hmm. I felt like I, I learned a lot there um, but I really wanted to work in stem cell therapy so I kind of jumped around to a couple of companies um, that allowed me to do that. So um, yeah, at this point, you know, I've had, you know, quite a few years of experience uh, in pharma and I've moved into consulting as of this week, which is kind of my end goal. So that gives me, you know, essentially that flexibility back from, you know, working in the lab where you could kind of, you know, determine your schedule, um, do double shifts and take a long weekend, things like that. So kind of back, you know, to where I started in terms of having that flexibility, which is really great. Awesome. Thank you. And so you, you've told us that you've gotten to do a lot in clinical trials, but what do you mm-hmm. do? In yeah. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> yes. So right now I'm a clinical trial manager. Um, it's essentially what it sounds like. I manage a lot of different aspects of the trial. So you know, as we know, there's a lot of different phases. Phase one is, you know, that that first part of the trial where you're really just looking at safety. Um, so, you know, working in a phase one, you're essentially, you know, assisting the medical team, um, research team, and trying to get a protocol together. Um, you're really coordinating, you know, with all the different departments, regulatory. Um, a lot of times we'll actually contract out a lot of the work if you're in, you know, a smaller company and your team is four or five people. So, I'm also kind of that uh, manager in terms of managing those contractors. So whatever work we're kind of relaying out to them, um, making sure our timelines are being met, the budgets, you know, in alignment with what we're looking for. um, And also just meeting, you know, corporate goals at the same time. Um, The hot topic is always enrollment. So, you know, as a manager, you, you kind of need to have, that match with your timelines, but also understand some of the challenges and realities. Um, you know, like with COVID, there's a lot, a lot going on there. Um, so just trying to manage, you know, that in terms of getting these sites what they need um, in terms of, you know, resources and things like that. Um, a lot of these sites are institutions, different hospitals, but they can also be, you know, outpatient centers and, and actual, you know, physicians offices. So, really just kind of being that middleman between, you know, where the research is being conducted and who's, you know, consulting with us. And then also our, our, our team, you know, within the company um, in terms of making sure we're aligning everything. A lot of organizing, yeah. <laughs> a lot of communication. <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of uh, like a project manager. So sort of. I'm like, kind of so essentially yeah so yeah. i i work with a lot of pms um and essentially give them our timelines and and kind of some of the the information they need to to really scope out you know where the trial is going um and also you know a lot of times we're working with leadership too and and looking at you know other programs that we're going to be starting and if that's doable with you know kind of what's going on um currently a lot of juggling yeah yeah a lot of emails. <laughs> Do you work with like a, a a physicians running? Is the physician in charge of a clinical trial, or are you working for a company getting physicians to actually do the clinical trials? How does that part work? Yes. So essentially, when a when a trial is starting, we first do site feasibility. 
So a lot of this is reaching out to different institutions, um, small, large, it really just depends on what the trial is. And so with that, we're actually speaking with, you know, on-site coordinators as well as the physicians and kind of just testing the water, seeing, you know, is this a trial you're interested in? And, you know, if so, that's when we start moving forward and the PI reads our protocol, um, they make comments and, and let us know, like, if there's anything we need to change and things like that. Um, so they do give input and, you know, they do let us know the reality of trying to enroll patients to meet um, our requirements, but essentially the company um, is kind of driving the study forward. And when yep. you say PI, you mean the primary investigator, right? Yes. Yep. Physician. Mm -hmm. Those jargon. That... <laughs> yeah, there's a lot and every company has different ones too. So it's even more confusing. <laughs> So yeah, you alluded to uh, like enrolling patients to be like a big struggle and a big part of the mm -hmm. challenge there. So how yes. do you how do you even go about finding patients? Like, a, what does that look like? Yeah, so it, there's a lot of different ways, and it really just depends on your trial. So I guess I can use oncology as an example because that's that's probably you know it's a hot topic these days. Um, so what you really want to do is look for institutions that say you're working for a company that's doing an AML study. You wanna look for institutions where you know a lot of patients have AML. Um, it could be that they're being drawn there because of the care, um, specific physicians, uh, really just different aspects. Um, so a lot of times we'll actually get, you know, a list of these sites from, you know, our contractors that we're working with, or it could be through, you know, our medical liaisons within our company. Um, that's, you know, one of the positions where they make a lot of connections with different physicians, um, really help us get those um, different relationships in place. So once we can kind of flesh out if, you know, a certain institution has the population that we need, that's when we can, you know, push forward with the trial. Um, once it's active, it's a different story. Um, there's a lot of trials going on. So some institutions actually triage their patients um, which means, you know, they'll kind of dole out depending on, you know, the study and the order that they have designed at the institution. Um, and there's just, a, there's a lot of different aspects. Um, a lot of the times we'll actually provide transportation in order to kind of get care to patients that may not be able to travel themselves. Um, so we try and find different ways to really outreach to, you know, different areas as well. Interesting. So uh, you had mentioned that you're uh, you're starting to do consulting, which sounds yes. kind of exciting. So yes. are you kind of working for yourself a bit there? Is that the idea? Essentially, that's, yeah, that's a long-term goal. I've actually found a firm um, that's female-owned in Boston, which um, was really important to me. And yeah, so I'm starting there. Um, they have a lot of clients, so I think that would be a good place to start. And then, you know, as you build, a reputation um, and you can just kind of go from there. So I think stem cell therapy right now is, is um, you know, pretty important. So there's a lot of trials out there and I think that experience is, is really something people are looking for. So exciting. <laughs> that is exciting. Um, would you say, uh, so in terms of the companies you've worked for, you had mentioned a startup, right? So I presume kind of yes. a smaller company. You've kind of seen small, medium, large, sort of, or? Mostly small, actually. Yeah. Um, I think my largest company was about 
50. Um, yeah, my first company was about 13 people. So my department was three people. <laughs> so you can imagine, you know, just how much work there is um, with just a small team of people. But it it was great because they did design the company in a way where everyone had a very similar working style, but were very different. Um, so it was very interesting to kind of move into that. It's very different from the lab, um, yep. definitely. But, you know, I think having worked in a smaller, you know, situation like that, moving into a company that's, you know, 120, 150, um, they're still relatively small, especially if you're talking about, you know, the Pfizer's of the world where, mm -hmm. you know, you have like probably an SOP for all the SOPs. Um, whereas, you know, you may not have more than 10 SOPs at a smaller company. So very different. Smaller companies, you got to wear more hats though, right? So it probably yes, kind definitely. of, you grew up as a oh, yeah. as pastor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just thrown into the fire essentially. And then you just, you know, you can't be afraid to ask questions. And, you know, I am someone who needs a lot to do. Otherwise, you know, I, I get bored, honestly. Um, so that's really great for me. Um, and I think it's important to just learn as much as possible, especially kind of in my field, you do need to know a little bit of what everyone is doing so that you know who to go to for questions, um, who's responsible for what. And when you're kind of designing a study timeline, you need to know how long things might take. Um, so having worked in the lab, you know that validating an instrument isn't, you know, a couple of days. <laughs> so when someone approaches you about, you know, like, oh, we want this testing done, you know, next week, you can be like, well, that's not, you know, possible. Um, so having that kind of background is is super helpful too. So what's it? Well, just can you talk to us about working at a startup? What's that like? As a former laboratorian now working at a startup? How is that? It was completely different. <laughs> I just absolutely loved it. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me is, you know, when you're working in the lab, you're working for a hospital typically. Um, and so just kind of how things are set up in terms of like the company matrix versus like, you know, some of the politics within a hospital system, it's very different. So when you're working in a startup, you know, you're working with a few other people and deciding things as you go. So it's really just what works best for everybody. And in that, you know, kind of environment, your opinion is, is just really, really valued. Um, and so, you know, I really felt like that moving into a startup, whereas in a lab, you know, you have all these SOPs procedures, even if you think something could be done a little bit more efficiently, you know, in order to get it to that point, you know, you have to go through a lot, as you guys know. Um, so it was just really amazing to kind of go in and just things just turn on a dime. And, you know, it's just really great. Much more agile. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like it's faster, but you probably break stuff more often. But breaking stuff is kind of fun, too, right? <laughs> so then you learn a different way to fix it and, yeah. and you're good to go. <laughs> So I actually had a question about flow because I know you work like with flow for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Has that skill set and that uh, base theory been beneficial to this particular, to your roles going forward? Past oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So part of my job too is 
you know, when you're doing research on patients, you also need to test safety. So having an understanding of all of those safety labs and what they mean is really important. Because as we know, um, not to knock physicians, but sometimes they need help with deciding which tests make the most sense. Um, and so part of my job is to kind of contract that out to different, you know, larger labs and kind of design what that lab manual looks like uh, for the study. So, you know, working in cellular therapy, there's obviously going to be a lot of flow tests, especially when, you know, you're genetically modifying these cells. Um, so these are being sent off. You need to understand, you know, um, how to ship them, you know, when the testing will be done, how long it's going to take and what that actually means. I mean, I've gotten down to um, the nitty gritty with, you know, the research team and talking about like the different panels they're using and, and they need to validate certain things and stuff like that as well. Um, so it's definitely helped a lot, I think, um, just having that and research appreciates it when you know how much work actually goes into this too, because, you know, they're doing things behind the scenes and, you know, just letting them know, like, I understand how much work this is, is really helpful for them too bit of perspective right yeah. yeah it's always good to appreciate you know those things um because everyone's always doing a lot of work yeah when you were talking about your role now in the the management and you mentioned phase one is your role different in each phase of the clinical trial or is it basically the same it's basically the same um it's just there's differences between the phases. So phase one is really kind of that initial study where a lot of the details are super important because it's the first time it's being, you know, given to humans. So you really want to make sure those details are um, are down. So but yeah, as you move forward, it's just the studies are larger, so it tends to be more work. I mean, um, you can go into phase two and three and there might be you know, two clinical trial managers, depending on if it's global, if you have, you know, a hundred sites, it's just a lot to manage. Um, so yeah, it's essentially the same role. It's just, you take on a few additional um, tasks usually. And what's the difference in job description or the role between being uh, an initial clinical trials associate versus a clinical trials manager? So an associate, uh, you're really essentially acting as a coordinator in terms of, um, you know, the paperwork, uh, doing some of the documentation review, you know, you're kind of the note taker, you're making sure that the timelines are updated, enrollments updated, um, really any little tasks that need to be done. Um, there's also something called user testing, which is when we design specific um, EDC systems, which essentially electronically track all of the data that you need for your trial. So that's something a CTA might do where, you know, they go in and test to make sure that everything looks okay. They still need to know, you know, the details of the protocol and, and things like that. And they're really just there to support. But Sometimes not, they, they'll also work with the sites as well. But they're not helping design everything like you are now. Um, I mean, it depends if you're in a smaller company, I had a lot of, you know, input on things, just being like a fresh pair of eyes. Um, and I think that's a really good environment, but the manager would be the one to kind of initiate some of those changes for sure. Interesting. So as far as education, um, 
you started with like hard science and then that kind of changed right with your graduate studies but mm -hmm. how much has that mls uh and even your degree before that kind of fed into uh fed into this yeah i mean i think you know obviously having that background on diagnostics is really important mm. um but it also teaches you how to be really organized um because when you're in you know school for a field like that there's a lot to know um so i think it really helps with that i think having you know doing rounds and and kind of meeting different people when you're rotating through the labs and as well as you know some of your classmates you're working with it really helps you kind of um, find your way of communicating, which mm -hmm. is really important in my job. Um, I think you need to be able to understand different personalities really well and and be able to communicate clearly. So I think that was really helpful. Um, yeah, and just being disciplined. I mean, in the science fields, you're kind of on your own. <laughs> so you really need to be disciplined and, and be kind of, you know, a go-getter. And I think it really helped me. Um, I know when students do rotations, it's usually the ones that are really on top of things and asking questions that typically get hired. So um, that's really kind of where you want to be. And can you talk a little bit more about the PhD research program that you went into and why you didn't, I know you said you didn't like mouse models, but yeah. <laughs> what, what else can you talk to us about that transition? Yeah, so I mean, my end goal from that is that I really wanted to be involved in research. I, you know, having worked in flow, it, you're diagnosing these patients with a disease that, you know, could be terminal. And I really wanted to be on the other end, you know, working on, you know, possible treatments or cures for things like that. And so that's what prompted me to enter the PhD. Um, once I was in there, I realized you know, it is super focused. Um, so you're really super, super focused on, you know, one specific thing. And, you know, I could not kill a mouse to save my life. I had to have someone else do it for me the like three times that it happened. And I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just, I can't. Um, and, you know, the sheer politics as well. Um, it, it came to be less of, you know, science and driven towards, you know, my goals of, working in research and more towards, well, you know, you need to be in a certain grade point or, you know, be doing a certain, you know, rotation in a certain lab um, to kind of impress someone. Um, but I ended up meeting a physician who was doing, you know, pediatric oncology studies and he was working in the lab with me and I was just talking to him about it. And I realized, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in, in clinical trials and kind of surpass that, you know, preclinical work where they're typically, you know, working in mouse models. Um, and I just happened to see this program at BU that fit perfectly. Um, so that's kind of where it went. I was there for about nine months, so I didn't last too long, but <laughs> well, <laughs> it it's, was enough. It's, it's tough. I, I think um, we all have kind of dreams. And when you're looking towards like research and uh, the idea of, you know, curing diseases and things like that, I, we see why people might be attracted to that, but the nuances of how you get there, th there's yeah. like nothing in high school or even your undergrad really, right. To kind of tell you what yeah. path is going to get you to the place that you actually want to be. Right. Cause to say, yeah. 
you know, research, um, I, at least when I look at that, that's like a huge umbrella. Yeah, it's um, massive. So, so like, you know, how does someone decide, right? How, how, how do you, how do you help someone who's younger, who's maybe looking to break into the field, kind of help differentiate? Do they want to be in that um, pre-trial phase, the the nitty gritty research, or do they want to, how do you figure that out? Yeah, I mean, for me, I just did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's so, the answer I was afraid you yeah, were going to say, I mean, right? Yeah, <laughs> I was never really afraid to kind of just jump in and say, I, this sounds like something that works for me. And, you know, the thing about the MLS program is that it gave me that confidence because, you know, you're working in a lab, you're in a high stress environment. Like these are patients. Um, So when you then go back to academia and you're working in there, it just, it's a little different. The stress is a little different. So I felt like, um, yeah, it was just a different way to cope there, I guess. But I think, you know, to make a good decision, if you don't want to just jump into things um, and see if it works for you is, I would say just, you know, track down people on LinkedIn or through your network and just have coffee with them. Um, See if, you know, what they're working on is interesting to you I mean there are internships um pharma companies do a lot of internships like an insane amount of co-ops have joined my companies previously and you know sometimes they stay on and sometimes you know they move on to another internship but that's also something that is really great um because you see more of a snapshot of what that life would be like um yeah I would say just talk to people kind of see what their path was and just get more information. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm always open to talk to people because I kind of went indirectly into clinical operations, but it was the right path for me. So it worked out. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's kind of like discovering the foods you like. You got to kind of try yeah. stuff and some of it you might not, <laughs> might not like. Um, yep. Yeah, but I can That's appreciate true. that shadowing. Uh, and yeah, just really encourage anybody that is viewing or listening to this podcast, if uh, you're an undergrad, um, just go and shadow or do internships, uh, find uh, things to do. I, you had mentioned too that you uh, uh, you did some interning when you were in your undergrad too, right? Was that? I did actually. I did uh, a couple of things in different research labs. Um, when you're an undergrad though, it just seems like there's not, <laughs> there's not as much importance. Um, so like, I don't know, there's a couple of times where I would show up to the lab and it would be locked and I'm like, it is the time I'm supposed to be here, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so um, yeah. And I think that's just, you know, it depends on who you're working under as well in the lab, but sure. um, it is, it's, it can be very tedious work mm-hmm. in undergrad. So I feel like sometimes that may not relate to what it's going to be like once you graduate. Um, they typically give you the things that are extremely repetitive and need to get done. Um, they're important, obviously, but you know it may feel a little less exciting. I think that's the nitty gritty research as a whole, though. I've mm-hmm. seen the memes where it's like you know what you think research is, and you see the little drawing of the scientist going "Eureka!" and what it actually is is you're just like, "Here I am doing the same." Experiment. Three years of pipetting, and <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's the thing though, is everybody thinks research is, and then it's really that 
kind of yeah no but like you know it's a drag it's a it's a lot more work and less eurekas so the yeah. i think the other thing too that i think about psychologically is like um obviously it's ideal when everything works the way it's supposed to and you solve world hunger right fill in the blank malady plaguing the earth um but a lot of research is failure right i mean not to um so psychologically i'm I'm sure you probably had to cope with different setbacks and and there's probably degrees oh yeah it's it's the same you know when you're thinking of bench science research and clinical operations um you know it's just it's kind of a different route right like i am dealing a lot more with you know people um but you know there are challenges when covid hit patients weren't going to visits, they weren't going to sites, they weren't traveling. So we weren't even able to get data, um, which as you know, it's expensive running a trial. So not having that is extremely difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of studies end in failure, whether it's, you know, big pharma or startup company, it is really difficult. Um, and even when you do have a positive outcome, you know, it's not the cure to end everything it's this is you know it's looking positive and moving forward we can make improvements so this might yeah, work I mean, as good news sometimes yeah <laughs> or it, it, look, it works as good as you know the gold standard and that's really what mm. we look to in the beginning um because research is slow whether it's you know a bench scientist working on a project or you know a new small molecule drug in a patient, it does take years. Um, so I think the average now is, I think it's still around nine years, 10 years. Um, to get a drug. I think or... so. I, I, yeah, I, I know things changed a bit with COVID just because the FDA had to kind of speed things up, but um, depending on, you know, the company, it, it does take a long time. So so if it would take nine years for one drug to move all the way through clinical trials, are you on that same project the whole time or how do you get a project? Yeah. I mean, not necessarily. I, I don't, I don't know too many people that <laughs> are in the same role for that long, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, if something's moving forward that positive, you do get excited and want to see it through. Um, yeah. But at that point, it just becomes the, a massive study. Um, so you typically have a lot more people working on it. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's the dream um, to see through a product that is going to be that great and that positive. So your coworkers that are also in clinical trial associates or management positions, do any of them have MLS backgrounds? I don't think so. Um, what sort of background I want to say yeah I want to say the, I've had a few people I worked with that were actually originally nurses um, and then they became like clinical coordinators coordinating the studies on site um, which you know is what a lot of the coordinators are um, but yeah I don't think I've met too many other people with my background to be honest um, I, I mean I've had colleagues that you know worked in research shortly or you know things like that but yeah I seem to be the only one <laughs> that I know of right now I imagine like a lot of chemists maybe and or 
I don't know. I, I would think a lot of, um, do you have a lot of people with like more of the management background in your role? Yeah, I keep mm -hmm. kind of misplacing my thoughts on this. Yeah, well, that's because I'm all over the place with my career history, Dave. So <laughs> you're just so talented. <laughs> yeah, you just have uh, this. Uh, so, I, I mean, honestly, if we can gather anything from here, your education is truly multidisciplinary, right? Mm -hmm. So your educational mm -hmm. background, and then you have the clinical background and you get that taste of the research. So you kind of, you've done it all in a short amount of time, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> I'm exhausted now. I'm just, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's great. I, you know, a site asked me a question about like reporting out a flow result. And I was like, oh yeah, can you just like re-edit and give me the numbers because I know you can do that. And they're like, well, yeah, it just takes a lot of time. And it's like, who are you? Do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm just calling them up like, excuse me. <laughs> I know what you're capable of. I've done it. <laughs> Can't tell me no. <laughs> uh, this is a, a just maybe a silly question, but how big do you have you found the community to be in um, the Boston area, the greater Boston area, New England, in terms of the clinical trials research? Um, it's massive. Yeah. yeah, it is so massive. Um, it's, I mean, there's just hundreds of jobs and, you know, Boston is kind of like the epicenter, um, it seems lately. But a lot of people are moving to remote just because they're trying to find talent in different places, um, which, you know, in my career is pretty important because you're working with a lot of people that are also remote or in different states. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're in Boston, you're you're good to go. Um, there's just more companies than I can count, really. So are you working remotely? Mm -hmm. All yes. Always or sometimes? Yes. <laughs> always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can choose not to be fully remote. Um, it's really just, you know, who, who you're working with and kind of what their expectations are. So for me, it works. It seems like a positive them. business decision too. I mean, uh, when you're talking about trying to find the best talent, like, um, mm -hmm. and geography truly doesn't contribute one way or the other, then why not, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you're looking for someone to actually go and visit your sites and, you know, your West Coast company and you might hire someone on the East Coast to, you know, go to your East Coast sites, but yeah, yeah it's pretty flexible. I just had a question that escaped my mind. Yeah, that's what it did. That happens to me all the time. I always have <laughs> thoughts just fall out of my ears. Um, it's just, oh well. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's really neat to get your perspective. Um, I just have so many students that are like so hyped for anything to do with research, anything even tangentially like related to it. Um, yeah yeah i mean you can go in so many different directions too like you know some of these companies have huge research departments but you can work in that and if you find that you know you like working with people more or you want to have a different kind of schedule um you know i work with translational research which are the people that are you know, taking the data and, you know, putting it into plots or, you know, redesigning slides or submitting it to different meetings and conferences and like talking to it essentially um, to get results out there. And 
you know, they're designing, you know, different um, testing panels and things like that without actually being bench scientists. Um, so there's also that um, if you're more into, you know, kind of coordinating those things as well. It takes a lot of different skill sets to make this stuff work. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, behind the scenes. There's a lot going on for sure. And then you have to add in the FDA on top of everything. So, <laughs> yep. That, that's time. almost its own podcast is regulatory stuff. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I, we typically have a regulatory person. So I, I always confirm everything because there's just so much and it changes. Um, I remembered my question. So my question was, uh, do so you have a master's do all of your colleagues have the similar master's what is the education that's typically needed to go into clinical trials associates or management yeah I think um, I would say most of my colleagues you know on my level or above have master's I think it's just you know depending on what you're doing within clinical operations, what the master's is. Um, but I don't think it needs to be specific to management necessarily. Um, I think that some of the skills you need are really just things you would learn in life, um, just being highly organized and being able to communicate well. Um, I mean, it always helps to have something to that nature, um, obviously in a degree form, but yeah, I mean, um, I think it really just depends. So if someone was interested in, in starting in clinical trials, would the clinical trial associate be that first position that they would start applying to? I would say so. Yep. Yeah. And would they just um, need their bachelor's for that or would they need their master's to start applying? For you that? don't need, yeah, you don't need your master's for that. Yeah. You just gave a lot of people um, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's good to have a little bit of background because there is a lot, but, you know, if a company is willing to take you on and train you, that is the way to go um, because you're putting things, you know, to use before being in a program. So for me, I was learning everything and obviously I had to do, um, you know, a thesis at the end, but I wasn't learning as I was, I mean, I wasn't, um, you know, working as I was learning it. So it was really, um, the thesis was really helpful because, you know, I wanted to apply everything. So I think for people wondering, you know, if they wanted to look at CTA positions and then decide um, and get into a master's program, that would probably be a good way to start. Definitely. Because I just jumped into the program not having a clue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, per my usual, I just jumped right in. I was like, "Oh, I don't know what any of this is." It keeps IRB, working. I don't know. What, I don't know what an IRB is, so let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it seems to be a successful uh, way to go about things. Um, yeah, I, I, th I think you can't be. You know, uh, we should we should all live life a little bit dangerous right um don't be too conservative of course yeah <laughs> um, i think one of the other things too i've reiterated several times is if you do have this mls kind of background you the hospitals aren't going anywhere clinical stories yeah. aren't going anywhere so it does help when you have a fallback plan to be a little bit you know uh, it's easier to be a little more adventurous perhaps but 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, and if you like traveling, that's definitely the way to go because you can find jobs in different places or you can just, you know, take the time yourself and just work a bunch of double shifts and, you know, go to school at the same time, whatever you want to do. It's great. Easy peasy. Yeah. <laughs> Until a physician calls up angry and then you have to deal with that at you know, 4 a.m. But <laughs> no advice for that, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Allie, two more questions. Well, one is how is your work-life balance mm. working in clinical trials management versus what it was in the hospital setting? It's completely different um, in every aspect, I would say. Uh, so working in the lab, I mean, it can be flexible, right? Um, you do typically work holidays, weekends. Um, you can work all different shifts. Um, some places make you rotate through shifts and the thing about that is you clock out, right? And you're done unless you're in flow and you're on call or, you know, something like that, um, which is possible. But once you leave work, you know, you're leaving work behind, yeah. right? And so that's very different from working in clinical operations where your email is on 24 seven. So you are always technically working, um, but, you know, on slower times, slower days, you can, you know, especially if you're working remotely, you can go do errands, right? Um, you can kind of tailor some things on your schedule, but it's always with you. Um, and so if you don't like that, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't recommend it. Um, but, you know, I like it. I like to be able to address things quickly and check my email and make sure everything's going well at all times. Um, and then you just have to kind of be disciplined and, you know, certain times just turn it off and say like, you know, I'm done. Um, you might work some weekends, but you know, it's typically, you know, on your own time. So your schedule is a little bit better. Um, I would say though, you know, when you're first starting out in clinical operations, it's a lot. Um, you're not working 40 hours a week. It's more like 60, maybe a little bit more. Um, so there are long days, long, long weeks, but it does pay off. And then, you know, in the end, you might have summer Fridays off and things like that, where they're really trying to help balance as a company. Um, but yeah, I think going into consulting is the ultimate with flexibility because um, you're still kind of determining your own schedule. Um, again, you know, you're always on for for whatever they need, but, you know, I kind of like that schedule myself. So I think it works out. I think you hit the key key part though, is to... Um knowing when to unplug or when to kind of tap mm -hmm. out. And, uh, yeah, it's a learned skill. It's actually much harder um, for me to do as <laughs> my personality, but um, I found that like, you know, going to a yoga or workout class, like I am literally unavailable for an hour. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of thing's really helpful. And exercise me. is really good for stress management, right? Yeah, it's it is, exactly. I actually had um, a colleague that put it on her calendar and was like twice a week from five to six, I am taking, you know, Pilates, do not bother me because I won't answer. And that was, a, I thought that was amazing that she yep. kind of set that yep. tone. Um, and it just made the working environment really great. Just knowing that that is something that's valued for sure. All right. And our last question is if someone's going, trying to get into clinical trials, associate, what is the best piece of advice, the one thing you would tell them? 
Hmm, that's a really good question. <laughs> There's so many things. Um, yeah, I would say just be flexible. Um, just really be flexible with your expectations and um, what what you want to work on. Um, because I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of different things and yeah, I guess just be, just be ready to work and, and learn. Um, that's all I can really say, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you've given some really good advice throughout this whole time too. So just kind of summarizing it and say, yes, do the work. That's a good piece of advice. I think do the work is an important component too. I, I, I think maybe some people take for granted how much you really might need to grind in the beginning. Oh yeah. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And You're usually the first one there and the last one to leave. Um, but it's not always going to be like that. So. But it gets more glamorous, right? <laughs> it does. You'll get some swag and you know, all that jazz. You'll, you'll, you'll get some stuff. It's, it pays out in the end. It's, it's really great. And then, you know, you're working towards something that's really exciting. And, you know, a lot of the times it's, it's first in human, you know, so that's pretty crazy. I mean, that is even crazy. it doesn't matter what role you're in, you're still working towards the same goals, everyone. So um, I think it's pretty amazing. Keeps you focused too, keeping that in mind. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, Allie, thank you so much for coming and spending the time with us and sharing your profession with us and all of our listeners. Yeah, we really thank appreciate you guys. it. Yeah, yeah, this is great. I can talk for hours about it. <laughs> Yay! Well, maybe <laughs> we'll have send you back. people my way if they have any questions. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that leads in. I mean, um, so for those that enjoyed uh, the podcast, um, please do send us an email. Um, check us out on social media. We love to get suggestions too. So if there's anything that you'd like to see us kind of address, Melissa and I can explore our network and maybe find someone that does that job or talk about a particular topic. And if you have any questions for Allie, you can kind of forward them through us and we can uh, hook up with Allie and uh, get that addressed. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a blast. Again, thanks. Thanks, Allie. Thank you guys. Please subscribe and thanks for listening. Thanks for your time.